0: This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcast.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcast.org. All right, parshas trum everybody 5780. So here's the Pusik, Parcheval of Pusik Aleph. Just Chavvav, I should say, Peri Pasegalov. Parshas obviously deals with the stuff that we're getting ready for the Mishkan itself. We're starting from the beginning. You have the concept of just the Mishkan itself, what to make, etc. The Aron Kodesh is the first kli that's made. The Shulchan, the Menorah is mentioned. The Urios are brought up. Peri Chavvav Pasegalov says, Vesamishkan, Mishkan, the Mishkan tase eser Urios. You have to make ten of these curtains. Sheish Mushzor." They should be, be made of twisted linen with the three types of wool, blue, purple, and scarlet red wool. Kruven. they should have on it some type of kruvin, it's going to be some type of embroidery on it. That's how you have to make it. These are the ten curtains that go on top. Now we're going to explain them a little bit. Rashi says that these ten ureals were used as a roof as well as decoration outside of the Krushim, the beams that were used on the outside of the Mishkan, they stood on the outside and they were on top of the Mishkan itself as a roof itself to cover them up and protect them. Then it's sieve argues that these psukim are only talking about the ones that are a rooftop, not the ones that are going to be the walls all around. Either way, we're definitely talking about the Ureos in some way that are going to be there. Now, the Rashbam says that the reason why they're called the Mishkan, because again, we're calling them Urios, but they're also, these are the Mishkan itself, it's because they covered the Aron and all the other great Kalim in the Kodesh, Kodesh and the Kodesh, which means that these are the ones, so to speak, that Fill the Shechina in that area, the Mishkan, which means allowing a place for the Shechina to rest, that was done through the Urios. That's the concept mentioned over here. The Smon of the he says there were even pictures of Malachim on it because we have a Pasuk in Yecheskel that says, Omdimimim Maulo by the Srophim. They're miminubi mi small, that the Srophim the, the, the were on top and on the right and the left side of, so to speak, HaKarish Barho in Yeshayim, sorry, not Yecheskel, which is what the Neviim saw when they looked up above. There were Malachim surrounding Malachim on top, so the Malachim that were pictured on the Urius was ke'ilu, so to speak, as if there are the malachim surrounding the Shechina up there in Shemayim as well. Yeah? So it's really hard to answer a question three minutes into a shir. I'm just going to forewarn you. If I answer this question later, I'm going to be super ticked off at you. But yeah, go ahead. Um, it's to make a picture of malach and these yeah, 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 Okay. But if a Kudosh Baruch says to do it, then it's mutter, so there's no problem whatsoever. Right? That's first of all. Second of all, it may not have been proven hold up. And I said, I'm going to be really ticked off. So hold on a second. Okay. So we're going to have that. That's Rashi and the Rush bomb. Now, how many were there and how did it go guys? No, well, it was like this. Each one of these Urios were four Amos wide. Okay. So think four Amos wide this way. And they were 28 Amos long. They went over the Mishkan. Now the Mishkan was 10 Amos on the top. They went over the Mishkan 28, which means 10 Amos right over the middle. And then if you have 28, that's nine and nine. Amos that went over on the sides, which meant that with the Mishkan, which was 10 Amos tall and 10 Amos wide, right, when you went through the Kodesh and the Kodesh HaKadashim, right, it was 10, so you'd have four Amos wide, and you'd have 10 of them, which is Forty amos altogether. The actual kodesh and the kodesh gadashim were thirty amos, ten amos for the kodesh gadashim, twenty amos for the kodesh. But that's okay. They didn't surround the opening. The opening was uncovered, but it went over te- twenty of the kodesh, left this side open, ten of the kodesh gadashim, and then it was another ten amos going all the way down to the ground, right, hitting right over there. That's the forty amos. Now that's the four, 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 10 times altogether. There was the other one, which was twenty-eight amos. Again, ten amos over the width, and then nine amos down, nine amos down, and it showed the bottoms of the krushim of the beams that surrounded the kodesh and the kodesh kadoshim. That's how the urios went. On top of these urios that were Sheish, Tcheles, Argaman, and tolashani, on top of that there were eleven urios. Eleven of them, also four by thirty. Those on top of them. They were ureos izim. They were made with goat skins. They were made with goat skins. That was on top of these ureos of shesh, etc. On top of that, there was the urea, another urea made of oros elim abdomen which were skins of rams painted red. And then on top of that, there was the Tachash skin. Some say that the Oros Elam Adomim, the Tachash skin, was half and half, that there were five skins from the Oros Elam five skins from the Tachashim, and they were attached together. Either way, that's what it was. Even these Ureos, it was not sewn together all the way through. There were five and five of these Ureos, the rios Sheish, we'll call them. There were five and six of the Ureos Ezek. Okay, you real season Now, what does that mean? It means they were sewn together. One, two, three, four, five were sewn together. That's four amos each. So five times four is twenty amos. Which obviously, in our minds, takes over the kodesh, right? And then the kodesh kedoshim had its own twenty amos. Ten amos here, ten amos toward the bottom, twenty amos. They were connected. Those twenty amos and twenty amos, meaning the five curtains and the five curtains, by these little chain links that were on each side, right? That connected the five and the five, okay? Same thing with the six and five. There were six, one overhung a little bit by the opening, by the season. one overhung for, for a few little bit over there, and then it went to the kodesh, and then it was chained, and then there were five going this way, six and five by the season, by the ureas of the tachash, and the will adam, and this is a little bit more confusing, but no need to go into that right now. Rashi says each one of the rios was extremely thick. Why? They're made up of four strings twisted together. You've got, again, sheish, the linen, tcheles, argaman, and talas shani all made of wool. Yes, it was shotness That was okay in the base of mikdash and the Mishkan. So therefore, they made three of wool, one of linen. They had four strings. And then each one of those strings were made up of six strings each. So meaning... There were six of wool of purple wool, six of blue wool, six of red wool, and then six of linen. Those were together, so that 's six times four is twenty four each string used to make up the aureos were 24-ply strings each. 24-ply. That's how thick the strings were and how big these curtains were. It was awesomely big curtains over here. Reverse argues with Rashi about the makeup, whether it's 6 and 4 or is it 4 and 6. Either way, everybody agrees it's 24-ply. 24 24-ply 24 altogether. The Kliocer says this puzzle is different in that every other cleave is preceded by the word V'asisa you should make, or asu by the Aron. It's a you should make, you should be in involved with in some way, shape, or form. This one, look at what it says. Look at the top. Vesamishkan ta'ase Esther Ureos. It's not or v'asisa and you make the Aaron and you should make the Kruvi, you should make the etc. It's you already made it, so to speak. Ta'ase, You're going to make it in such a way after it already says v'asamishkan. Since the point of these Ureos is to keep the Shechina in, says the Kliyukur, you can't write it that way. You can't write make the Shechina stay by you. You can't You can't do that. You can't say, you should make the Shekhinah. You can't do that. Instead it says, when the Shekhinah comes down, Ta'aset. It will be made by you covering up the urios But we can't use the word vasisa. That gets it a little bit off. The Rabbeinu Ephraim says the reason it starts with a different word is because it was shown to Moshe Rabbeinu on the mountain so he knew exactly what it was going to look like. So that, so to speak, HaKadosh Baruch said to Moshe Rabbeinu, remember the mishkan? As ta mishkan that you saw up there in Shemayim? Remember that mishkan? ta'aset. That's what I want you to make. I want you to make it exactly as that thing over there. And that's why it's ha mishkan with a hey. It's the same one that you saw. So above, that's what I want you to do over here. The Rabbinah B'chayah says something interesting. He does seem a little bit off. Everybody knows, especially if you've been doing Davyomi. Yomi, Nun medalaf, right, in Brachos, is where Kaddish Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabinu to make the Mishkan, etc. and Moshe tells it over to Bitsala, And he tells bitsala to make the Aron, the Shulchan, the Menorah, and then make the Mishkan. And then make the Mishkan, to which Bitzalo says, "Most revenue, something seems off here. It should be, what do you make first? Do you first bring in the furniture? Or do you first have a house to put the furniture into? We should make the Mishkan first. And then we should make the Aron, the Shulchan, and the, the other Kalim. Why should we do the Kalim first and then that? And the Gemara says that Moshe Rabbeinu responded to Betzalel and says, Shema Bitzel El Hayisa. Maybe you are in the shadow of God because that's what it seems what Akadosh Baruch Hu told me, to make the Mishkan first and then the Kalim. So everybody asked the Kasha, why did Moshe Rabbeinu switch it around if that's what Hashem said? And in this week's Parsha, it's clear you make the Aron, then the Shulchan, then the Menorah, and then the Mishkan. It seems clear that this is the order you make the Mishkan afterward. Anyway, by the way, as a timeout, it didn't matter. Because they finished everything on Chaf Hei Kislev, which is what Chaf Hei Kislev is? Chanukah. Chanukah, right? So they finished what we call Chanukah today. They didn't build the Mishkan until Rosh Chodesh Nisan. The Mishkan wasn't made to put the Kalim into until Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So it really didn't make a difference. When we're saying, well, you should have had the house first and then the Caleb doesn't matter because you're not building it to Rosh Chodesh Nisan anyway. For two and a half months, for Adar, Shvat, Tevez, etc., for the rest of Tevez, right, you, you really don't have to worry about anything because the kelim apparently were protected and put somewhere without there being a Mishkan. So it doesn't really matter. Either way, says the of B'chaya, it's interesting how we're learning over here, the Arun Kodesh is mentioned first, says the of B'chaya, even though the Mishkan should have been made first, according to that kamar. the Mishkan should have been made first. Nonetheless, the Arun is mentioned first because of its tremendous is Milo, That the reason why the Shechina came down, the whole reason why there's a Mishkan, is because of the Aron Kodesh. The Ramban says this in the beginning of the Parsha. The whole reason why there is a Mishkan is not because of the Urios, not because of a Menorah, not because of the Shulchan, it's because of the Aron Kodesh. Because there's an Aron Kodesh, because Hashem wanted to speak to Moshe Rabbeinu on the Aron Kodesh, or to be around the Aron Kodesh, therefore, we have a Mishkan. It's sort of like, that's the reason for everything. If that's the reason, that trade, that everything comes around, then the Aron is first, and everything follows. Then we go into the Mishkan itself. That's the idea behind it. The Malvim says that's exactly why the wording is switched. Everything else is about Sisa, etc. And this is Tasa, to indicate that it was being made before everything else. And this should be read not in order. It's sort of like B'tzalel convinced him to make the Mishkan first, or so that's what Moshe Rabbeinu agreed to. And that's why it says the word Tasa, because of this idea that the Rabbeinu Dachai is bringing up. Okay. David Ezra says an amazing thing. And this is going to lead us to the next part of this, of what the Kruvim looked like. Okay, how the Kruven work. When weaving these ureos, they made pictures of Kruven. Okay, now seemingly they're just Kruven, and there were different images on either side. That's how the Ibn Ezra puts it. Meaning you didn't have one image and then you saw the back of that image when you looked on the other side of the ureo. That's not what it was. You saw one image embroidered on the outside on one side, and on the other side, it was in another image. It didn't have to be a mirror or a copy. It was just another image. It didn't have to be in the same place. It could be like that. It could be off a little bit. They were on both sides, and there were two different images based on that Gemara and Yuma, Ayin, Bez, He gives another idea. The Maisekoshev means you have to think about it before doing it. Anybody you've seen, like you have an architect that, you know, designs a building and shows you what he wants to do. And then afterward, they build the building. So my Sekhoshiv is you don't just start embroidering. You think about what you want and then you embroider it. So first you like draw a little bit, you make pencil marks and you do like little things. And then you start embroidering all around. That's called my Sechoshif. That's his second shot. I don't think they're arguing with each other. It's the same basic idea. But the idea behind this is, is that you went ahead and you made different pictures on both sides. Now that Ibn Ezra Happens to be a really, really big Mach Locus. Rashi says similarly, when weaving these Ureos, they made pictures of cruising on them, not in the stitching, not in the needlework, which would be on the inside where you'd see one side and one side and you'd see the opposite. On the opposite side, you'd see the back of it. That's not what they did. They wove it on the outside of both sides of the Ureos. The Ureos were super thick, and then on top of that, they made these pictures on both sides. That's what they ended up doing. He gives an example, and here's the example Rashi gives. Like you would have lions on one side and eagles on the other side. And right there is where everybody looks at Rashi and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where are the lions and eagles coming from? You're making kruvim. Look at the Pusik. Kruvim masachoshev some, And Rashi mentions lions and eagles. That's the first thing that he says over there and he gives that as his example. Again, this is the first opinion of the Ben Ezra, which makes a lot of sense. But it's strange. It could be he means kruvim on both sides, but he says lions and eagles. And he compares it to... This type of belt, this silk belt called a sash. I think that's what it calls it in the, the old French. This sash that they put on where they put pictures on both sides as a design on that belt. And they put designs where you have designs on one side and designs on the other. So that's what you do. It's the same idea over here. The Marl Diskin says there have to be two different pictures. You know why? This is brilliant. Again... You have to know where Bishuv lived, Diskin. The Marl Diskin was a Rav who lived around the turn of the 19th century, well, from the 19th century into the 20th century, early 1900s, in Yerushalayim. He was the Rav in Yerushalayim. Originally, he lived in Brisk. He was the rabbi in Brisk before the Rov, Rav. Where he was the rabbi in Brisk, and he moved to Yerushalayim. He's a genius beyond geniuses. He's the one where you hear stories where he looked at a wall and he saw he could tell you how many bricks were on the wall just by looking at it. That type of person. He could like look at a whole pile of svarim and say there's, you know, 232 svarim in that pile just by taking a glance at it. You know, those savant type things. That was the Mario Diskin. Mario Diskin says it's obvious why you'd have that picture on one side, picture on the other side, and they didn't match up because the urios were placed on top of the kodesh and kodesh that meant one side of it is facing the inside of the Kodesh Yikodesh, from the inside of the Kodesh, which is unbelievably holy. The other side is facing the sky, which is not as holy. So listen to this. He says if it was the same picture, you wouldn't remember what side the Ureos go down on. You'd have the Uriels and you'd overturn them, you'd put them on one side or the other. It's sort of like tzitzis. Sitzes, if it wasn't for that little tag on the back of them, you'd have no idea which side is front, which side is back. That's why I like having that, the little, like the slit down the front so you can tell which side goes in the front, which side goes in the back. Because otherwise, how do you know? Like those white cotton sitzes that just have a little circle, you have no idea. How are you supposed to know which one is on each side, right? It's like this with the areal, says the Diskin. To know which one goes on the bottom and which one goes on top, they had specific pictures, one on the bottom and one on top. They made one that always would be on the bottom. So then when they were putting the reels back on the Mishkan, they would say, wait, which side? Go- oh, right. This is the side that goes down, and this is the side that goes up. So it was specifically two different pictures. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, they had a mirror image, be the other way? If it was the same image, you know, where you're seeing the back of it, correct. But this, for sure, there was an image and an image on both sides. So, meaning it had to be different pictures, says Marl Diskin. An Auri on one side, a lion on one side, and an eagle on the other. Because if you had a lion and a lion, you might mess up and turn them over. Do you get what I'm saying? No, no, no. Well, yes and no. Yes, you could do that, right? You'd have the lion always facing one way, but that definitely could be messed up. You understand what I'm saying? But if you have only these images on the bottom, only these images on the top, you'd always remember, this is how we have it. I would assume that that's the reason why he's saying it. Okay, if it was just Kruven, even then, there's a Machlok, is what it looked like. Reva'i Kaplan, the Living Torah, quotes the Midrash Gadol, that it was a pattern of Kruvin. And I'm going to challenge everybody here. Over Shabbos, maybe you know these Mishkan books, you know, the Mishkan books that have all the pictures in them and everything. Look up the Urios. I saw five picture books this week. All five of them had a machlokis in what was on the actual Ureos themselves. Not in the ones on the outside of the crushim, but rather the ones that were on top itself what it looked like. The living Torah quotes the Medrash Ar-Gadl, and I looked at the Medrash Ar-Gadl afterward. It says there was a pattern of kruvim that were many, there were many of them. You know, five, six, seven, however many kruvim there were on each side of the Ureos themselves. Five or whatever it was. But they were different from one another. Rabbeinu Miyuchas, who's also a Rishon, argues there was one kruv on one side, one kruv on the other side, and that's it. It wasn't multiple kruvim. It was one kruv and one kruv, right? And that was it. There was nothing else on the top of the Ureos. So even though, again, the Ureos were five and five, there would have been one on all of this and one on the others. I don't know if it's one per the five, right? Do you get what I'm saying? One per one, two, three, four, five, and then one, two, three, four, five, or one for the five, and one for the five, or if it was like that. I don't know if Rabbi is saying that, but the way that, the, that at least the Gadol is saying it, it was a pattern of Kruvim. There could have been 20, 30, 40. It looked like little Kruvim one after the other. But the Mizrahi wonders. He says, well, What do Kruvim look like? What do Kruvim look like? They look like little cherubic little babies. Is that what they look like? Does anybody, uh, we spoke about this before. What's the difference between a male crew and a female crew? How do you tell the difference between them? So in one of the picture books, it, the male crew has short hair and the female crew has long hair. But I don't know if that works so much. Right? Well, one's pink, one's blue. I don't think they had colors. I don't think that's how it was. It's strange. How would you know? So he says, what do crew them look like? Was it cherubic little babies with like little angel wings, you know, and little fat cheeks? Is that what they look like? Is that that what you're picturing? Is that what it is? So he says he suggests at first that the eagles and the lions that it refers to over here was it's referring to pictures. When it says Kruvim, Kruvim don't have to be Kruvim. Kruvim just means nice pictures. Nice pictures. And therefore, it could be lions and eagles and things like that, and that's all, he, all it was. Only by the Kapores was it different. The Kapores, which obviously on top of the Arun Kodesh, that was for sure Kruven. That was human-like Malachi creatures, whatever you want to call it, that w- somehow went on top of there. But the other Kruven, meaning the Kruvan that were on the Parochas, and the Kruvan that were on the Urios, and those Urios that surrounded, it could be, they could have been anything. They really could have been anything. And he brings Uriah. His raya, he says, is from Targum Onkelos. Targum Onkelos, by every mention of Kruven, by the Urios, by the Parochas, by, cru- by whatever ever out there, are always known as Tsuras Kruvin. Tsuras Kruvin, a picture of Kruvin. But by the Kaporis, when it talks about the Kruvim on top, the two Kruvim that have their wings outstretched to one another, there he only translates it as Kruven. He doesn't say Tsuras kruven. He writes, Kruvin. Says the Mizrahi, Revelyon Mizrahi, that's the Pshat. That it was pictures, and it could have been anything, right? But they were not necessarily Kruvin. We don't know exactly what they look like. The Gurariyeh says, any Tsuros, any pictures that have faces are called Kruvin. Hear this, says the Marau? Because their faces were not exactly human-like. They're Kruvin. They're close to it. When we say that Kruvin had baby faces, it's not literal. It's not literal. It's not that you're going to see the Kruvim standing outside of Ganadin and you're going to see a Gaga face, like a little bottle, like sitting outside of Gan Eden with an angelic body. That's not what it looks like. The Baral says Kruvim don't look like little babies, Kruvim have faces that are not exactly human that are not exactly human. The closest we have to that is when a baby is born, obviously the baby is born with a human face, and I don't wanna get in trouble here, but the baby's face is like close to it and getting to be more human. Meaning when the baby's in the womb, obviously it is the human face, but it's not exactly a regular person's face. So the way he says it, the Gorari says, there's something a little bit missing. The Kruvim as well. They were animal faces. Animal faces are not exactly human. Even if you see those guys that look like their dogs, and you've seen them before, right? Who look exactly like their dogs. You see them walking their dog, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not saying anything. I know. You don't look like the dog yet, right? That they have those, the, the face look exactly like. Nonetheless, there's a major difference between those two. Kruvim refer to any face. That could be like an animal of some sort. That's the concept, says the Gorariyeh. And therefore, any animal face could be a Kruv. Anything. Because Kruvim are just a word that describes a non-human type creature. A non-human type creature. That's the idea behind it. That's his one. That's the Gorariyeh. The Maskil LeDavid adds that the Mizrahi himself earlier, he said that the Kruvim in Parag Yud Pasachov, apparently had four faces. Now, this is mentioned in the very first part with the mice Merkava, and it's things a little bit beyond us. But apparently the Kruvim themselves have four faces. The four faces are an Aryeh, a Nesher, a lion and an eagle, right? A shore, a bull, as well as an Adam, as well as a human being. And those are the four faces on each side of the Merkava, of the chariot itself. It's four faces that are all on the Kiseh. Says the Moskul Adavid. It's possible that when we say eagle and lion... It's aspects of the Kruvim. The Kruvim were four-faced creatures. So they were Kruvim with different faces. There's the Udom face. There's the shore face. There's the, uh, somehow, the Aryeh face. And maybe the Nesher, right? That type of idea. Maybe that's the idea behind it. It's a little bit hard because we do say that the shore was taken out and they put in a Kruvim instead. I, I don't know. I, there's something a little bit off about this Moscow Adavid. But either way, the Moscow David says it's possible that's what it refers to over here. But there is a matter of Rabbah so Hold on one second. There is a matter of on that the Kruvim themselves are shapeshifters. Now that really helps because how do you draw Kruvim if they're shapeshifters? What do you do? How do you have a shape shifting picture? How are there Kruvim on our own Kodesh? So apparently, again, the way the Maral is saying it, maybe this is what it means. Kruvim could take on any face that was not fully human. Maybe that's what it was. The Kruvim looked like anything you were thinking of when you looked at it. We don't have such a problem with that. The Mun tasted like anything it tasted like. It may have smelled like anything you wanted it to smell like. It's possible that the Kruvim looked like anything you wanted it to look like. And the innocence of looking at the Kruvim in the Besam Mikdash, in the Kodesh HaKadashim, may have meant that they saw it as babies, as an innocent little baby. And that's the idea behind it. According to that Medrash you could draw on the Ureos whatever you want. Because the crew don't have a real picture. You could draw lions and eagles and bears. Who knows? You could do everything. Whatever you want to put on that. Maybe that's the idea behind it. Yes. What's up? I don't know what it means by a side of a malach. That's the problem. So I can't answer that question. It's sort of like there were four faces if you looked at it. But there's no back to a malach. So I don't know. It's a great question. I'm not pushing you off on this. I just don't know. It seems like you looked at a malach and you saw all four. But I I don't know what that means and how you could when one face has to be in the back. But somehow you were able to see that there were four faces to each one. I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. So let's assume that there were different aspects to the face of the Kruvan themselves. Yes. It would be awesome to see, wouldn't it? Yeah. It's sort of like a hologram where you see, like, okay, either way, regardless, there's a party use on here as well, and there's a Malbim. The Malbim talks about the Rambam and Rashi. goes into the Machlokas, Rebun and on Yuma dafayin. about what happens. We're going to skip. Okay, what was the point? Why did you put these 10 Urios on? Why did they have that on top of there? Now, yal gur quotes the Targum the Asher, and one Bnei put the Urios on top of the Mishkan, their faces glowed like melamalachim. They glowed like angels. That's when they put the Oreos on top. Clearly, there's something special about the Urios. Clearly, there's something different about them that made them something about them that it brought down the Shechina and it kept the Shechina in. What is it? What exactly is about the Urios? The Tamidas, Strombach says that we know the Mishkan down here corresponds to the Mishkan above. There's a Mishkan below. There's a Mishkan above. There's a base of below. There's a base of Mikdash above. Every single detail of the Mishkan has something to do with what's going on in Shemayim. Just like everything down here has something connected with going on in the Alulam Asal And whether we know it or not, it doesn't make a difference. If we understood the secrets of the Mishkan. We would understand the staushalus of Shefa, the chains of goodness that a Kaddish baruch brings down to the world. If we understood it correctly, we'd understand that the, the, the Urios somehow kept the shechina in, but brought the Shefa down and allowed us to have everything that we have. So we don't know. But I want you to think about something. Just think that those Urios were never destroyed, they still exist today. We have no idea what they did with them during the first base of Mikdash. We have no idea what they did with them when they came to Eretz Yisrael and they made a permanent Mishkan and it no longer was in the temporary crushing that they had made in the Midbar. When they came to Eretz Yisrael and they made a permanent Mishkan in either Gilgal or Nov or Shiloh, wherever it was, when they made that permanent structure, what did they do with the Arios? Did they keep it on top? Was it the same dimensions? This is all for the Midbar. But through Nevi'im, you were allowed to switch it. It's clearly said by the Nevi'im, by the times of the first base of Midrash, the second base of Mikdash, and the third as well. You have Yecheskel, you have Chagai, you have Shlomo Melech, you and and, and Gadach Oze. You had the ability to see certain things. So did they do anything with Urios? We don't know. Says the Rav Shrombach, and I'm really taking from Rav Shrombach to say this, these may be saved for the future of Beis Amikdash. Perhaps these Yerios have a secret to them that we just don't get yet. But it's the reason why Shefa comes down to the world, why Akadosh Barakul allows us to get good things. It's from the Urios, not just from the Aaron Kodesh, so to speak. We need the Urios to be a conduit to bring down that good stuff in order to get it all for us. We just haven't seen it yet. We have absolutely no idea. That's the way that I want you to think of it for right now. As for the number, the Balaturim says the number 10. Take a guess, guys. What's 10? What do you think the 10 refers to? 10 refers to the? Come on. Asarazadebros. Come on, any kid would tell you, why do you have 10 year They're going to tell you, Asarazadebros, right? You could ask your baby sister, and he, she will tell you, Asarazadebros. Everybody thinks of the Ten Commandments when you think of 10, right? So the Balatorum says it's 10. What in the world is the connection with that? And then five and five. Isn't that interesting? Five and five, and they're connected with the chains. Five on one luach, five on the other luach. So you have the luchos right there. So what in the world is shot? The Balaturim says it clearly. What in the world is shot I'm not going to be able to go through everything. I'm going to try to go through the Shemishmol, though. The shemi Shemishmol says, this was done purposely. Even though it would have been really easy to just sew all ten together. You sewed five together. You sewed five together. Why not just sew all ten together? It's done on purpose. Showing them the Urios... 5 and 5 chained together reminded them of the luchos reminded them of the malachim they saw on Har Sinai they had Matin torah and these people saw matan torah they needed a constant reminder that matan torah had happened when they go to the mishkan and they see these curtains overhanging now granted on top of these curtains were the Urios izim. On top of the urios Izem was the Oros Elim Adomim and the Oros tchashim. So they may not have seen the Malachim on the Urios. But when they took down the Mishkan and traveled, the Urios were shown to them they could see the Malachim I and mean, the Urios on the outside of the K'choshim showed them the Malachim. It's a constant reminder of the SRC Debrose that we had Matan Torah, we had something there so they could say it again and again and again. And obviously the urios izim, which were six and five, is Torah Shabbat, with Torah Shibukhsav, That the source, so to speak, of the entire Torah is the Esther Zedibros on the bottom. That is the base. The baseline is the Esther Zedibros. And from there, there comes Torah Shepachsav and Torah Shibukhsav that are connected to each other with chains. You cannot remove Torah Shibukhsav from Torah Shepachsav, that they're connected to each other in every which way. And then on top of that, you have everything else. Perhaps the idea behind the Asar Zedibros is entirely to remind them of their purpose of their existence. The whole world exists because of your Matan Torah, what you accept in a Matan Torah. Maybe that's the idea of what we're trying to do over here. Now there's an Orachayim HaKadosh. I'm not going to go through all of this. The Orachayim HaKadosh goes into the Shemos of HaKadosh Baruch saying that it's clear to him that four is being used all over. they are four Amos wide, 28 Amos long. 40 altogether, etc., to stand for the 40 days. He says the four, as well as the sheish, tchelas, argaman, and tulash shani, stands for the four letter name of Akadosh Baruch Barakhu. And although this gets a little bit beyond our understanding, what the Yud, the He, the Vav, and the He of a Kaddish Baruch whose name means, just know there's an Or Haim HaKadosh who takes it all and puts it down for you and explains how these ureos were really a representation of how the Shechina is brought down to the world, how it stays in our world and how it seems that we live in a world of Elohim, which is Teva, nature. Ho Elohim is the gematria of Teva, of the same thing as nature itself, of Hatev. I'm sorry, Elohim is Hatev. Teva 86, right? Nonetheless, there's something special about this as well. And the Shach, Allah one of the Talmidim of that Rizel, also talks about this going into the Milui of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name, how each letter can be spelled out. Yud is Yud Vav Dalit and Hey is Hey Aleph or hey, Vav, or hey Yud or Hey Hey. And he goes into each one, but that's a little bit beyond this and we're not going to go through. The Kliyukar combines that orachayim HaKadosh with the Shemishmo, He says, yeah, they do represent the Asara Zedibros, but they also represent the Asara Mamaros. The Gemara tells us the world was created with ten utterances, ten Bayomers. and if we look at Beratius, it says the word Bayomer ten times. Now, as a timeout, it actually says Bayomer nine times in reference to creation. Tenth time for something else entirely, but nine times in reference to creation. And the Gemara asks, what about the tenth? And they say, Beratius is like Bayomer, So it counts of Ayomer as well, so, but there are ten utterances, right, in which the world was created, but we know that the world was weak, the world was ready to fall apart. The world couldn't stand that way until the Asteris came and strengthened the world and allowed the world to stay. Meaning, the world is created with ten utterances, ten Vayomers, but the world couldn't stay that way. We need Vayadaber. Vayadaber is a harsher lush and a Lashan Kasha, says the Gemara. That through those ten utterances, through the Vayadabers, the ten Vayadabers, we have one after the other, they connect that somehow we're able to make the world into the world that we have today. Says the Kliyukar. Every one of us has to remind ourselves. There's the Bayomer, We have Rachamin. We're put in this world to do some great things. And we're put in the world in the beginning with lots of chesed. We get a lot of chesed from our parents as babies. We get a lot of chesed from our teachers as children. We get a lot of chesed from other people when we're growing up. But soon it comes to Vayedaver. When it's time to grow up, you stop and you say, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do what I need to do. I'm ready to stop and do everything and be kosha, Says the Kliyakar, that's what the Mishkan represented. The Mishkan represented these skins on the bottom, the five and the five, to remind them that you start off with Bayomer, you end with Bayedaber, you build yourself up, so to speak, and he goes into Benan LaChaver, Benan the Makkum as well. And our last one is Rav Hirsch. Rav Vafol Hirsch actually has in his selected writings a very large piece on the entire Mishkan, how the Mishkan represented all of Klal Yisrael and the human body. It's a microcosm, that means a small little version of what the human body is. Think of Think of it this way. Think of the Aron Kodesh, the Aron Kodesh right in the middle with the luchos, etc., as being the brain of the person. Think of, now think, you're the Aron Kodesh, the Aron Kodesh is coming this way. The Shulchan is there. Again, if we have the Kodesh Kadashan right here, the Kodesh is that way. The Shulchan is there. My left arm can reach out from the brain to get to the Shulchan. The right arm is the menorah. Right? We all know that it's Orech yamim b'yamina Orech yamim is da'arichos yamim of chachma of the menorah Bismola o'sher vechavod, Riches and honor come from the shulchan itself The brain is here This and this The mizbe'ah hazav with the ketoritz was supposed to be the heart of the person and the Mishkan, the Kodesh, and the Kodesh HaKadoshim represents the human body. The human body and what he needs in order to go through. He understands something that's really, really special. He says the Arun Kodesh was made of three, two different materials. There were three Arums. Gold, surrounded by a wood Arum, surrounded by a golden Arum. Three different arunas, says Rashi. Gold on the inside, wood, and then gold. He says wood stands for growth. But growth can be done in a very, very wrong way. Wood stands for growth because that's wood grows, right? Gold is stagnant. Wood is stagnant. The gold is stagnant. So he says, by putting gold surrounding the wood, what you're doing is essentially allowing your growth to be limited to the way that a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants you to grow. As we all know, there are people who have tried to go too far like Elisha Benavuya or Benazai or Benzoma and have failed to get to what they needed to because they tried getting past what they knew was the right thing for them. The Arun Kodesh stands for our abilities to understand, but our limitations in our understanding. And that's okay. You're allowed to be limited. And when you need to reach out to your form of Parnassa, you get your Parnassa. When you need to reach out to learn more Torah and to gain in your Chokhmah, your wisdom, you reach out to that. The lines that go from one to the other, that's the concept. What does that mean for the Urios? What do the Urios stand for? Well, in this sense, the Urios are like the skin on top of the body. Almost like the form that allows the mishkan, the body to form. It wouldn't be able to form. It would be out there in the open if not for the skin, the body itself that surrounds. And that's seemingly what the ureos are supposed to be. Meaning, in this world, we make for ourselves a mishka. Our body begs us to eat that piece of cake. To look at that person who's inappropriately dressed. To do that thing that's wrong. That's what our body tells us to do. And our brain and our heart and our, our minds are filled with this idea of, no, that's not what we're about. We keep our bodies holy. It's all about the inside, not what's on the outside. The urios, so to speak, and what the outside of the Mishkan represented was an ability to stop themselves from going any further. Not allowing yourself to be fall prey to the body's tivus, to the body's desires and what you want to do. To build up your, the idea of the tree of knowledge and your table of happiness in this world, making yourself a mishkan, a mikdash, a place for the shechina to rest within you. And when you do that, the kruvim come down, those are the pictures on top, to surround us, helping us. That's the malachim, ki malachov, yitzav that surround us and come with us wherever we go and allow to go through. The kohen gadol is human perfection. Human perfection, that's what the kohen gadol is supposed to represent. He wears the blue, red, scarlet red, purple wool, together with the linen, even though it's shotness. He wears those clothing together. If that's so, it's possible that the same thing is done by the Ureos. The perfect human being is represented by the Ureos that are made of those four materials together, showing that if a person takes that in and tries to be the perfect human being like the coin Gobble is, then all of a sudden you're able to get everything you need, everything's right there for you, which is such a cool concept, the idea behind it. I'm not gonna, I, I, I did say that I was gonna be the last, I'll just tell you one over here, the Arugas of Bosom says that the word sheishmashzor means a lot more than what you think. Sheishmashzor obviously should be linen that's woven together that's twisted together he says it should be Shei Shazur Sefer HaChinuch says in his Akdama it's brought down by the Chai and in al Aleph there are six constant mitzvos that are with us at all times six of them that we always do at all times number one belief in HaKadosh Baruch number two don't believe in idols loving Hashem and fearing Hashem right those are the obvious ones right over there number five Keeping away from those things that we shouldn't get involved in, and number three, knowing that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is unique and one in the world. Each one is a mitzvah. Anochi know he Hashem Elokecha, Lo Yelachal Kimachirim Alponai, Shmaya Yisal Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echod, V'yahafte Es Hashem Elokecha, Es Hashem Elokecha Tira, and belos Surah Cherei Lavavchan Those are the six mitzvahs, constant mitzvahs. If you've ever seen the books, the the six constant mitzvahs. It's a small little black book by Art Scroll, It has mitzvahs to mediate. It has a daily thing that you go through. It's a beautiful. Book, and I highly suggest everyone gets it. The six constant mitzvos, six mitzvos to medios. And it goes through. It's possible that the idea behind this is that our yitzahar is on us all day long. If we concentrate on these six daily mitzvos, we'll never be hurt. And maybe that's the concept. If we have sheish, the six constant mitzvos, mush from the Zor, it will move us away. The word Yamush means to move m- move from one to the other. Mush from the Zor, the stranger, which is known as the Yitzhara, the Satana Amashlis, Maybe that's the Pshat, that the Sheish will allow us to be mush from the Zor, and we won't be able to be ruled over in any which way. Perhaps that's the concept that we'll be learning out from right over here. Shkai, guys, we'll stop with that.